Welcome to Sea Time, everybody, the off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Sea Time, everybody. Brian Pierce here, your host for the evening. Uh, seat time, the online show for the off-road enthusiasts. If you're paying attention to us right now live, obviously you think dirt bikes are cool and you like to either race them or ride them, and we love you for it. So thank you for paying attention to the show. What is playing? It's my computer. Apparently that's live. Well, I'm going to turn off the volume there on that. Andrew, what do you think about that? That's pretty cool, huh, that we're screwing up already? Yeah, a little bit of an echo. Yeah, it happens to the best of us, I hate to say it. But so... Of course, Seat Time, the online show for the off-road enthusiasts. Thank you very much for paying attention. Uh, if you have never tuned in before uh, and you were like, what is this? How can I find more of these? Well, of course, we do archive our shows on the site, so seattime.co. Um, Stitcher and iTunes are where you can find the audio-only version if you like podcasting it a little bit more than seeing uh, the faces of these fantastic racers. Um, I wouldn't say the fantastic face of myself, but, hey, it's here. It's what it is. We make it work. Of course, um, Seat Time is brought to you by the fine folks over at flyracing.com. They have huge news coming out at Redbud 2015 lineup. It's going to be super cool. The guys over at Stillwell Performance, if your squishy sucks on your dirt bike, they're going to make it that much better. So stillwellperformance.com is where you can go find out more about those guys. Um, Fast Company, um, if you guys don't know anything about them, they are in Washington, Utah. What's neat is they moved there just so they could actually ride out of their door, opposed to being a Southern California moto company where you had to drive and park, and it's just retarded. Uh, super, super cool dudes. Fastco.com is where you can find out about them. And, of course, the guys over at KR4 Performance, they have their Arrive and Ride program, which Steven and I did take part in at the Big Buck GNCC. Absolutely fantastic program. Great group of guys. Super helpful for guys like Nick Davis and his little brother Grant. It's cool to see him doing so well. I know he did have a lot of trouble with his earlier program. He was on earlier. If you want to search for that, it was a really good episode. Um, we wanted to say thank you very much to all of our listeners because we did our Teespring um, funding that we did made it. So we were able to sell 70 of what we thought would be about 35 shirts. We went back and forth on that number a lot. We were like, would we sell 50? Would we sell 40? Would we sell 35? So we did 35 and we sold 35. We, we did 35 and we sold 70. I don't do numbers. Um, so we really appreciate all of y'all's support for that. And, of course, you could actually go to teespring.com slash seat time right now. And if 15 more people were to reserve a shirt, it would actually go back up for sale. Um, that's a thing that Teespring does on their own that really doesn't have anything to do with us. That's just if you guys really think that the shirt is cool and would like to get it again. Um, another bit of house cleaning is right now we do have a gather film. So gather, G-A-T-H-R, films. You could search for that with the John Pinton uh, movie screening that we're going to have here in Plano, Texas at the Angelica Film Center. So if any of you guys happen to be in North Texas, um, you can go to that for the Gather Films and check that out. Uh, or just search for John Pinton movie screening. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to come up with that as well. Um, if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter or any of that stuff, we have posted about it. So it's easy to just go back a little bit and find the link and you'll be able to get there. 
so that will be happening July 10th at 7.30. That's a Thursday night. We did just reserve enough tickets for that screening to happen, so it will be happening. Um, we'll make a seat time out of it. I'll probably have a five to six minutes to say something to everybody uh, before it goes on, and then we'll have two minutes of uh, Mr. John Pitton and the history of uh, KTM, pretty much. It'll be the history of John Pitton, which is also going to be the history of KTM uh, in the States and uh, since. So it's going to be really, really cool. Of course... Uh, I'm your host. We're going to talk about all kinds of off-road shenanigans this weekend, and we're going to start it off with Mr. Andrew DeLong, first XC1 podium officially. How is your evening going, kind sir? It's going good. Uh, just uh, resting up, hanging out. Um, just got a shower, pretty much just uh, relaxing. Uh, let, uh, let my body rest from this tough weekend here. Yeah, it sounded like you guys had quite the weekend. You were telling me that this was one of the toughest races that you'd uh, that you've done since you've kind of been doing this for as a, for a living. Yeah, I mean it was uh, very very physical this weekend uh, at Snowshoe. It was uh, uh, tough. Uh, the course was just physically demanding and very tough, and um, you had to pick good lines. And if you didn't, you'd end up in a big old hole or a bad rock garden where you had to push your bike out and. When you push your bike out, you just exert so much energy. So um, the last two laps, I think I got stuck more than any time I've ever rode in my life, and I'm from the rock. So um, it was a little different for me, but I get to some of the top of the hills, and I had to take a breather just to catch my breath because I was that out of breath. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you mentioned on the podium, as a, I always try to catch, if I don't get a chance to watch, I at least have it open to listen to the GNCC live webcast that Racer TV does. And while you were on the podium, it was kind of interesting. I mean, you 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 got teared up, honestly, you did. And there's uh, I've got no problems with that, dude. That was a huge accomplishment. And with you talking with Jen, it definitely sounded like you were super exerted. Um, so you've been wanting this for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, when I did it in XC2, it really didn't mean as much um, to me at all. Like I just raced in XC2 to win XC2. I didn't really care too much about the overall. And, uh, you know, this, this XC1, I've like, haven't been getting the results that I've wanted and I've been struggling all year. Um, I guess it's not really struggling, but it's not where I want to be. And, uh, I put so much, you know, everybody puts so much work into it. And I mean, I felt like I was in better shape this year and more prepared than anything. And, uh, I wasn't getting the results that I wanted and, it was just tearing me apart, and uh, during the weeks, I would come home, and uh, I'd pound miles on the road bike and uh, mountain bike and run, and I'd do two-a-days just to make sure my body was in shape, and uh, I'd take my frustration out from not doing good on the weekends out on the road bike or the running or anything like that, and um, I ended up pretty much burning myself out. Um, burning my candle at both ends pretty much. Uh, I had to get some blood work done, and I was feeling really sick and run down, and um, I basically, I couldn't really even, I went to Ohio GNCC, and I couldn't even do a lap. I was fatigued out of my mind, like my arms, my legs, my whole body was just tired, sore, and I had to push through, and then I got a little bit of a gap with the hat, that weekend off so I took two weeks off I didn't do anything and uh, I, I'm, I'm still resting actually 
to this point, um, I still feel tired at their snowshoe. Um, in snowshoe, I felt tired at the race. So, um, uh, the biggest thing is for me to control my training and, uh, you know, just try to, uh, try to relax and just have fun with it and not take it as a job so much. And, uh, when I, when I seem to do that and my results seem to be better in this weekend, I had so much fun just being there and the atmosphere of it is uh cool it's like a old black water and uh yeah i just i just had a great time had tons of fun this weekend just ready for the weekend and uh it helped it helped i I just had fun riding my dirt bike so and i ended up doing a good result which is that's why you've seen the tears on the podium is because my team you know not my team but andy and joey and hollywood and i have been busting our humps um trying to get things to work and finally actually things came together so uh it's like going three months without getting the result that you wanted or four months you know so yeah um for me it was it's the one of the best most like stress relieving things that happened to me so far and i'm so happy with my podium finish i bet i think it's got to be tough for you guys sometimes to remember where this kind of love for dirt bike riding came from and then why you're racing, why you're trying to do this for a living. Um, so it's got to be good to have that kind of that monkey off your back. How how much extra stress was brought on, or maybe there was none, but let us know. You came into 2014 on a new team, on a, uh, I would say on a new bike, a newly branded bike, but probably a bike you had never ridden. Um, and, and all the new processes that were being set up, all the new channels that you had to go through for this new team. I mean, you were even in, excuse me, in new gear. There were a lot of firsts for you at the beginning of this year. And then, of course, you're moving up to the XE1 class. So going into 2014, was there any thought of how to, how to prioritize taking in all of this new, all these new surroundings that you had found yourself in? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough. Like you said, I mean, I had new gear, I had new boots, I had new new goggles, I had all new stuff. And uh, the bike, I moved up to a bigger board bike, which I never really experienced before. And then also moving to a different frame, different forks, different handlebars. I mean, everything was completely different. And uh, it was just overwhelming for me. Like to, <laughs> Like they had so much there at my fingertips that I didn't know what I wanted and uh we did a lot of testing and searching and uh you know it I had to try to control myself and just go back to my basics and try to feel what the bike was doing but it was hard because the first time I rode my bike was at the first national enduro um so I showed up there I I rode Saturday did some testing on it um and Friday and uh, race Sunday. So I mean, it was throw right into. I was thrown right into the racing, and it was uh, very difficult to um, keep keep the ball rolling. I mean, there was I didn't I didn't have a good setup. I had a basic setup that Bart from PG you know Ride PG put in for me, and I mean I just rode it, and uh, <laughs> it had a pretty some really big get-offs until we finally got it dialed in but i mean it was uh it was very very uh stressful and i didn't know what i wanted i didn't know what the bike was doing i didn't 
I had new shocks. My shock has 34 clicks on it, and my old shock only had 18, you know, or 20. And uh, This is a lot of numbers. <laughs> yeah, so, like, <laughs> I was just... I was just overwhelmed. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know. I was starting from ground zero pretty much. And I mean, it took this long to finally get it to where I'm semi happy with it. Right. Oh, and I can imagine that considering everything that you just mentioned, that you guys are probably only halfway to being a quarter of the way happy. Like, so was there any discussion at the beginning of this year from team members, teammates? riders around this new Husqvarna team that, hey, guys, don't go crazy. We don't expect much because this is a base-setting year. Like, we're just going to get out there and do the best we can with what we have because this is a brand-new team, and we're expecting 2015 is where we're really going to be seeing a lot of 2014, you know, base-setting really come into fruition and where we're expecting a lot of everybody. Was there any kind of chatter like that or was it i mean what was it like going into this 2014 season from a yeah, business I mean, perspective yeah i mean uh andy jefferson my boss and uh you know uh mike brown's boss and basically russell bobbitt's and jacob's uh boss pretty much i mean for me he said for me moving up he wasn't he just said go out and have fun and learn the bike and just 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 go have fun. That's all he wanted for me to do was learn the bike, get a good setup, and just keep chugging along. He really just wanted me to be from fifth to seventh and just be consistent. He didn't really say too much about, you know, winning to me or being on the podium. I mean, he said if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And he said this is a building year for you. And uh, I don't know what kind of pressure he put on the other guys, but, um, you know, for me – I, he sort of just laid off of me and um, just said, have fun. And, uh, you know, but as a racer, you want to win. So, oh, well, I bet. <laughs> yeah. So, like, when I was getting sevens, everybody was like, yeah, that's awesome. But deep down inside, that wasn't good enough for me. So, um, just, he just said, Kep, keep working, keep working, and it'll eventually come. And, uh, I mean, basically, he he said if I rode around all year and just had fun and learned a lot, it was a successful year. But um, next year is when he's expecting some uh, podiums and good rides out of me. Um, yeah, that's where the pressure will be put on me because I have a year of uh, under my belt and I'm established and I know what I have to do to win and everything like that. So I have a two-year deal with Husqvarna. So um, basically it's just a, this year is just a work in progress, and then I'll have the same bike as I will for the next year. So everything, hopefully all the bugs will be worked out, and, uh, and then going into 2015, hopefully we'll be contending for two championships. So Awesome. So awesome. Yeah, National Enduro and uh, the GNCCs. I wanted to know – you mentioned the work in progress and the bugs to work out. I did ride the FE350 um, at the Contra National Enduro, um, and I got a chance to talk to you after that event, and we kind of compared notes on things that you guys had been working on on the bikes and things that I kind of was like, oh, okay, these are the things I think I would try to address if I were going to race that bike, I guess, at a, at a 
more serious level opposed to just bringing it to a race, not really changing anything, throwing a leg over and racing it. So of all the works in progress and the bugs that you guys had to, to work out and that maybe you're even still working on, what was what were some of the main points that you guys really needed to pinpoint that it was like once you made change X that you were like, oh, my gosh, that was something I was struggling with. Was there anything on that bike that really just was holding you back, even if it was just a kind of a minor thing that just seemed like, you know, the sun rising above the clouds once you fixed it or figured it out? Um, I have to say the biggest part is just the the suspension was just that was my toughest uh, thing to deal with. Uh, the motor, I pretty much had the motor set up from when I went out there to California. Russell and I, we were doing a lot of testing and, uh, we tested motors for like a solid week. Um, the motor department, the factory services, um, they built a whole bunch of great motors for us to try. So Russell and I were doing, he'd have one motor in his bike and I'd have one, another one that was different in my bike and we'd do switch, switching back and forth and, once we found the motor that we wanted, um, pretty much, you know, uh, the motor package was awesome. Um, I'm old, I'm so happy with my motor and, uh, what it, you know, how it runs and, uh, the power that it puts out. But the biggest thing for me was just the suspension. I couldn't get the, the feel that I wanted from my old, like from my old Husky. Um, I run a really weird, rear end sort of i guess you could say i i like it to be completely dead i don't want any hardly any i guess most people don't want it, want it dead too but um i don't like it at live at all like i want it every anything i hit or i mean if i hit a log or anything i don't want it doing nothing at, at speed i don't like it stepping out so that was the hardest part for me was working with the track shock um trying to get that dialed in and but the front forks I've got pretty good. Bart helped me with them, and then uh, and then the rear shock we kept on working, kept on working, and uh, we finally found a good one here. Uh, just some different valving, and uh, you know we figured it out. And finally, you know, it, like it was like you said, like the sunshine came out. It was like it clicked, and then one day I was like, man, I love this bike now. So uh, it, that was the turning point, I think, when I started to enjoy riding it. Um, it just felt it just felt a hundred times better. Like well, as soon as I got done testing that lap, I had the biggest smile on my face from ear to ear. Nice. So nice. Yeah. Uh I kind of figured there had to be a little bit something. I would probably change I think my biggest thing would be the front forks, actually, opposed to the rear suspension. I thought the rear shock was pretty good. It was actually even felt like it was kind of com uh set up well for, for my weight, but man, that front end dove like a son of a bitch. And you couldn't you couldn't keep it from doing that. Um but again like I said, this was this bike stuck into my back of my truck to the races, doing a bunch of laps on Saturday to try to set it up. Realized that it's like it's just undersprung, like the dampening is just off. Like so, you know, it, it obviously with a little bit of work it could be fixed. It's not a problem with the bike; it's just a problem with the setup for the rider. Uh, maybe it's a problem with the rider. <laughs> they know there's all kinds of stuff. We had a good question from the chat room um, as we were kind of talking about motor setup and we were talking about uh, suspension setup. They were asking, do you actually have a different setup when you go from the National Enduros to the GNCCs and back and forth? Is it two different bikes? Is it two different setups? It, it, break that down for us. I have, uh, I have a National Enduro bike and then I have a GNCC bike. 
Um, but uh, they're both exactly the same from from one to the other. Um, there's nothing different. Uh, I run the same exact setup that I do run in the GNCCs. I run everything the same. And I'll look at the track and see how it is. You know, if it's uh, if it's rough or rocky, I'll make the adjustments that I want um, when I get there. I have a good idea of what I like and what what will work good in that situation. And uh, but for the most part, I run the same setup pretty much everywhere. Uh, I like a if I find a setup that I like and I know what it does, there's no use changing it because it's uh, it works good. Hell yeah. Um, my question is uh, is on your motor. I was, you were talking about that you guys got a chance to test a bunch of different motors and that you were like, oh, that's the motor I want. What what makes that motor your motor? Like is it is it something specific that KTM Factory Services does that you know of? Is it, a, is it the throttle body? Is it, you know, what are some of the small little things that, that really make it your uh, motor? I mean, I, I run a FE350 pretty much. Uh, I have a six-speed transmission, and then uh, I get an SX head on top of my um, – the top end is rebuilt like the cylinder and everything. It's an SX head, um, so it gets a little bit more ponies, where the FE is just a little doggy on the top. So we had to bump it up and get the horsepower up, and uh, so it would rev and uh, be aggressive. But um, pretty much I'm riding the stock. A stock FE 350 and just the just the motor package is a little bumped up. That's cool. Okay, yeah, it's funny that was that would have been my thing is that you know you get into fourth, fifth, even fourth and fifth gear and you're kind of feeling like you're three quarters, if not close to full throttle. It's kind of like where's the pep? It just kind of felt like it flattened out. It plateaued way too soon that the the way that it ramped up. Um, so being able to get a little bit more RPMs there and getting a little bit more punch at that top part of the of the gear would be very beneficial on that bike, I would have to say. Um, yeah. So snowshoe is a very particular race. Uh, the, it's a you know typically dirt bike dirt bikers, ATVs, all that kinds of stuff are not allowed on the property. Um, it's a ski resort, so obviously I would imagine that this place has a lot of money during the winter. I don't, I'm not too sure. I've been there. I've only been there once for a mountain bike race back in the day. Um, but tell us a little bit about the setup, because you guys start on different rows. I would imagine that break down to overall points. And then, of course, you guys had like an east and a west side, so you're on both sides of the mountain. Was there a harder side? Kind of break all that down for us. Well, yeah, we started like on the pavement, like we're right outside the village, and um, started in rows of five, and I was in the second row. Um, and uh, pretty much we started and went, down around the village and then we went sort of through the village under some ski slopes or under some a ski lift and then we sort of shot out and went out on the back side behind the pits first um yeah then we that we did like an eight mile loop over there and that side seemed uh actually no we did we did the downside of the, I guess that you could call it the west side, or I, I actually don't even know, but um, we did the left side as you're pulling up into the village. That makes it easier. Right. Uh, we did the left side first, which was um, like 10 miles, and it was like pretty muddy, muddy, uh, a lot of roots, um, some rock, not too bad actually, and then um, it was just more muddy and uh, 
like slick. And um, then we crossed over the road and we went over to the right side of the mountain, which I guess would be the what you know. Um, and uh, that seemed to be the more technical side. Um, it had a bunch of little hill climbs in it, and uh, some of them were slick, and then some of them were really long um, uphills that were loose rocks and skaty. And then they had some really, really steep downhills that were like, you were scared to go down them. I was scared. Like it was, you couldn't stop. It was slimy. It was, uh, you couldn't stand up. It was, uh, sort of just had to sit down on the seat and just wherever it took you, it took you. And then, uh, you hit the bottom and went, went down all the way to the bottom and then climbed your way back up to the top. So it was, um, it was very, uh, very difficult on both sides though, for sure. The one side I liked a little bit more, it was, where you had the flow, the flow of the corners and everything seemed really good, and the other side just seemed a little like um, jagged. But I, I had a great time. It was a, it was a, it was a blast. The, whoever you know, Barry and uh, Buren did an awesome job with this track. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that one side felt flowy and the other side didn't uh, felt different um, because I, and I don't know, I can't remember what they said in the webcast, but you know, Bjorn did one side and. Uh, Barry Hawk did the other side, so I wonder who had the more flow. I mean, I would assume Barry Hawk, but at the same time, Barry Hawk could have had a bad day and been like, I'm going to be vindictive. This is going to suck for them. So, <laughs> And I could see Barry doing either. So, uh, well, I, Yeah, I forget which one did each side, but I know, I know I talked to Barry afterwards, and he was riding. He actually was riding while we were racing. He was jumping in behind us, um, some of us pros, and uh, I caught him. And he was laying on the ground uh, <laughs> under his bike, and then he picked it up, and uh, I fell actually right before him. So he jumped in behind me. I was going super slow in the rocks, and uh, he actually was, like, right on my butt, and he was having a ball, and uh, I enjoyed it. You know, that was fun. I, I didn't ride with anybody all day, so when he jumped in behind me, it was like actually I had somebody to ride with. So, uh, you know, he's from PA, so we had some PA rock boys uh, tearing him up. Awesome. That's the way to do it. I, uh, I've talked about it too much, so we're just gonna say it once. Is that, again, I'm saying it once again, is that, of course, I have raced there at Snowshoe in one of the old Norba Nationals downhill, racing the expert class, was bitching, and I loved it. And now that, you know, for the past couple of years that you guys have had this, uh, this GNCC out there, I've wanted to go, and I just haven't, it hasn't happened. We were trying to figure out if we could make it work this time, but just the money that we put forth for the KR4 Arrive and Ride program that we went to at Big Buck, it just wasn't going to work out to do it this year. I still am hoping to make Ironman this year with the KR4 guys again. But I think next year is going to be my KR4 Arrive and Ride race. Like Now I'm kind of pretty much set on that. I will at least do one GNCC a year with the KR4 guys to hopefully uh, – you know, just get out there. Not that I need to race. Not that I need to compete. Just get out to another GNCC. There's so much fun to go to. But I think snowshoes got to be it for next year. What, what What do you think? I mean, is that just stupid because I'm asking for it or what? Uh, I mean, snowshoes a tough one. Like it's probably the toughest one that we do. So don't but bring I, my lady panties. Yeah, don't bring the lady panties. Just see that thing. Um, no, but it's it's a cool atmosphere. It's one of the. You know, they got the village right there. You eat. They have diners. Yeah, I mean, not diners, restaurants and uh, everything right there on top of the mountain. Hotels, uh, everything live band Friday and Saturday night. And uh, it's a great time. You know, it's a, a big party. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you're into that and then right. you like to ride, I mean, some people are. And, you know, 
Um, I wish I could go out and party, but, uh, I got to, you know, race in the morning. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it's a big, it's a blast and, uh, it's just a cool atmosphere. It makes it, it's more like relaxed than you're actually at a race. So. Right. Well, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the partying because it leads me into one of the questions that I realized I had come up with that we haven't talked about in a while, and that's the mud fleas. Um, and it looked like from some of the, the, the footage that I was able to see that they were out in force. So I wanted to see if you could give us three points on things that we could follow on becoming an epic mud flea. Huh. Well, you got to have your cooler first. Cooler? Then, cooler? Empty yeah. cooler? Not uh, an empty cooler. Uh, no, you have to have a cooler with wheels on it and a uh, handle. Aha! Right? Then so, you have to have a stack full of bush light. A stack full of bush light? Yeah, that's so all you, they were drinking. You down guys there. don't, it's not like stones. You guys don't drink stones or like, you know, the hipster PBR shit? Well, they had some PBR, but. And I say you nice guys to... as in the mud fleas, uh, obviously, not you particularly. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, the most of the cans I've seen laying on the ground were bush light. That's uh, that must be a West Virginia thing, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Very, very particular to that part of. Yeah. And then you gotta have your, you know, you gotta have your your shirt on, you know, with the sleeves cut off, and you gotta have the bent brill on your hat. Oh, a bent and, brill. Uh, All right. Yeah, and then. Uh, and then you got to have your West Virginia big old logging boots on, and you'll fit right on in. Bam. You know, it's funny that you mentioned, and I did not notice this, but I can tell you from experience, one of the best reasons to have an ice chest that you may be carrying around alcoholic beverages with to have a handle and wheels is so that when you find an awesome hill and you're nice and inebriated and most of the beer has gone anyway, you can then attempt to ride it down the hill. Uh. So, oh yeah, they were they were tearing it up. They were having the ball out in the mud. They were swimming in the mud hole this weekend and getting all having mud fights and everything. It was it was uh, we had to stop when we were doing the track walk and just sit there and watch some people hang out and uh, play all around in the mud. Oh, uh, good. Well, I have to say that that makes me realize that maybe we should go back to another GNCC where the mud fleas are enforced so that we could do a documentary on just the mud fleas. Do you have any idea, I think, how interesting the interviews would be with the mud fleas? I mean, I've never really met one in purpose, person, if you will, but I would I would get in, in on it, you know? I mean, why not, right? That would be oh, fun. yeah. I mean, I mean, you could find some interesting people, that's for sure. We'll use that word, interesting. I like that. That's a broad word that can cover a mass amount of how people could be. Is interesting. Hey, well, Iron Man has their fair share of good people too. To you could bring in doctor, uh, do a documentary there. All right, man. The mud fleas. <laughs> this is already getting me thinking. I love it. Um, so we did have another question from the chat room. They wanted to know: Do you find it harder to ride by yourself in a race or with others right near you? Um, I'm, I don't know, really, uh, for me, um, I'm riding with somebody that's uh, a little bit faster than me, and, uh, I can follow, you know, you can follow them, it makes it a little bit easier on you, um, but, yeah, like, you can see where they break, and, uh, you can see the lines that they take, and you can find better lines, but for the most part, I mean, when I'm by myself, I can actually get in my own rhythm 
and I don't have to focus on anybody else. I can just focus on myself and hitting my lines, hitting my breaking points. And uh, when I seem to do that, that's when I I don't know if I'm going fast or um, – but that's when I have the most fun on a motorcycle is when I'm just flowing and uh, just carrying my speed and just just having a blast on the on the bike. I mean that's that's the best part to riding for me. I, I in a race that's if I find that um I don't really know where how fast I'll be going, but I mean I know I'm having fun and usually when I'm having fun I'm doing all right. So um, I like just riding by myself to be honest with you. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, everybody's got their different techniques. Um, we had when we were talking with Caleb Russell last time he was on the show, which is cool. He's hanging out in the chat room answering questions that guys are asking about his bike setup. So we appreciate that for sure, Caleb. Um, he was talking about, and I was asking how hard it is to kind of set the flow and the pace for the event, and if you can get out front. You know, just being out front just mean that you're going to go fast and try to leave the people and all that kind of thing. He's, he, I, it's an interesting point where it's like, you know what? I just want to get out front. I want to set the pace. I want to be in front of everybody, and I want them to have to catch up. And I was like, man, if I had that kind of commitment and uh, and gonads, I think I'd be trying that as well. But, <laughs> hey, if I finish the race, I'm a happy camper. That's pretty much how I look at it. And as long as I'm smiling and, like, lately my dad's been able to be at the races with me, you know, since they moved from Little Rock, and that's that in itself has made racing so yeah. much so much different. I wouldn't say more fun, just different. It's such a different aspect or atmosphere now that my dad's able to come and hang out with me. So it's cool to get that little family atmosphere back into it. Well, um, yeah. we know you've been doing some of the national enduros. Haven't had some of the luck you've been looking for, and uh, you're going to have more of those coming up. I think we got one more national enduro uh, coming up in July, and then they're kind of going to break for a little bit. We don't come back, I think, until October for uh for gncc but then we've got august 23rd atlanta enduro cross is there any chance that you're going to be down there for that uh i'm not for sure about that one i yeah i'm not really i haven't been practicing up on my enduro cross skills so i don't i don't think you'll see me there for sure i mean well, bro we just have i mean it's it's gncc break you got like yeah. three months two two months yeah, I'm not really of a a good technical, like, uh, skilled rider. I'm more of a basher, so I more like just hit things and plow it over, or I'll just keep going until my bike doesn't go no more. So, um, I don't know if Endura Cross is the best for me. Right. Well, that's okay. If uh, if what about possibly heading down there and checking it out? Would you take a trip to Atlanta just to be like? If What's I- up? If I drive down there to Atlanta, I'll probably do it. I mean, there's no use driving that far if you ain't going to have some fun doing it. Hell yeah. See, that's the that's what I'm talking about. I mean, think about it. Mike Brown's already going to be there. So all you got to yeah. do is just be like, Andrew, Jeffries, I want my bike there. Could you make that happen? He'd be like, well, we're already going, so sure. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I I actually stayed with Brownie for a little bit, and uh, – rode on his Endura cross that he built and uh I could barely do one lap without falling over so uh, I need to maybe give Brownie a call and go out there and stay with him for three weeks and maybe I'll be able to do a lap on his Endura cross without there you go. and don't forget the weekend before that's the TKO which uh, I'll be at as well so it should All be right. cool so oh and this is a good one 
we can we can kind of close up with this because this is this is this is very important stuff. This is journalism at its best. Is this is a question from Caleb Russell in the chat room, and he said, "Andrew, did you cash your bonus check yet on a new Superjet?" Yeah, I just bought a 2014 Superjet. What is a Superjet? That's my <laughs> ignorant question of the day. It's a stand-up jet ski. They uh, still make those brand new? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh my um, gosh. No, nah, I got I got a freshie. It's he's sitting in my garage all waxed up. Uh, I rode it. I mean, it's a blast. I actually had a 650 at night, uh, 89, and uh, everybody was like, "Oh, you just keep on riding that." And then all my buddies up here in PA got super jets, and uh, Caleb was trying to talk me into buying his, and uh, I was like, "Ah, I don't know, I don't know." And then I talked to some dude. Uh, about buying a used one and then uh, and then I was talking to my old man my dad and he's like why don't you just go out and buy a new one just tear it up yourself beat it in I'm like alright <laughs> so uh, I went out and bought a, bought a 2014 brand new out of the crate and I'm having the most fun I ever had on the water with it so I love it nice well there you go thank you for that journalism breakthrough um, Mr. Caleb Russell can obviously see why he's good at his job no, well, hey, those stand-ups well, hey, are hard. That shit's difficult. Well, hey, Caleb, Caleb started that uh, that trend where everybody, you know, he bought a stand-up and then everybody was like tiptoeing in, but he went all in and bought a super jet, you know, a big nice one, and then everybody else sort of like jumped on the bandwagon. So I guess you can just say that he uh, he started a whole bunch of a whole bunch of people buying them, and uh, I guess put you know. Just having fun on the water, so they are. They're a great workout and they're flat. Awesome. Well, I, I, I would. But we had a buddy that had one here in Texas, and I tried for a little while. It was fun. It's just none of us, none of us knew how to do it, so we were just kind of effing around on it. Um, so it was, <laughs> it was. We would get up and make turns and stuff like that, and then the second we got too confident, we'd just like slam in a turn or whatever and just slide out. It was, it was ridiculous, but hey, we tried it. It's fun. I'd love to get yeah. one to be able to goof on it on a little bit more. So, uh, I, go ahead. I think like half the pro pro riders have stand up jet skis. Um, I know Caleb, Charlie, um, myself, and my buddy Chris Borch, uh, pro quad guy, yeah. lives close to me. He's got one and. Stu Baylor's got one. Paul Wibley's got one. I mean, it seems like everybody's got one. So um, they're tons of fun. So I mean, nice. Well, if you want a carpool to Enduro Cross, it looks like Zach Huberty might be going um, from up in your neck of the woods. So check in with him and right. uh, see what's going on there. Well, dude, we really appreciate you coming on the show again. Sorry that it's been so long since you've been on. We've just been kind of trying so many different things, screwing up with a lot of it, I won't lie. Definitely on my fault. Um, but, hey, awesome job getting onto the podium for XC1. We hope to see you up in the top step. I think once you get a little bit more uh, confident in the bike and maybe find a little bit more of those little things that you've been looking for to, to make changes on, I think it'd be really cool to see you battle in there with Caleb Russell. Uh, nobody's really been able to do it yet. Charlie was for a while, obviously, but he him getting hurt. Um, but I would really like to see that. That would be super cool for you to get up there and battle with him. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's on a totally – him and Char, Charlie are on a totally different level right now. It's uh, I mean, it would be cool just to even just ride with him for a lap, but he, he goes in the checkout. I guess you could say checkout Caleb now and – 
uh, <laughs> it just disappears before I get going and get up front. So, um, but no, like I, I'm, we're going to keep working hard and, um, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to eventually be able to just hang with them for a half a lap or even a lap. And that's a big success in my book. And, uh, right now, I mean, Jordan Ashburn's like in between, you know, uh, Caleb and myself. And there's a group of us like Stu and, uh, Chris Bach and all of us. And, uh, we're like, I guess you could say like the third step. No, not the third step, but like there's a couple more steps until we can reach that level. But, uh, uh, definitely the confidence is a key, I think, to doing well and feeling confident when you show up at the races and knowing you can do it. That uh, that helps a lot. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it's that'll be coming here soon, I hope. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest key is to stop hanging out with all the lot lizards on your travels. Oh, yeah. I think that's uh, – you stop. You got to stop spending five bucks at every gas station you go to just because you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Woo, buddy! I'm just getting a workout here. Woohoo! <laughs> All right, man. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show. You have fun out there. Good luck. Don't get hurt this summer. We want to see you keep kicking ass uh, in the back half of the year. All right. All right. Thanks again for uh, having me, and uh, it was awesome. Hopefully, I can come back again soon. Oh, you know you will, man. We appreciate it. Later. Peace. All right. So, Mr. Andrew DeLong, it has been, unfortunately, a little too long since we've had him on the show. It was cool when we hit 100 episodes. He actually uh, gave us one of his uh, jerseys so that we could give it away, signed everything. And that was when he was still riding with Fly Racing. Um, I say that because, obviously, Fly Racing is a huge sponsor of this show. And if you guys do not know, uh, their 2015 lineup is getting ready to come out. They're going to announce everything at Redbud. Um, so we're going to see guys like Trey Kennard and Andrew Short, for sure, wearing some of that 2015 gear. And I feel sorry for them almost because if they don't get to wear their kinetic mesh gear, which is still a 2014, uh, that sucks because that gear is super vented and super awesome. And if they have to wear not super vented and not super awesome gear, oh my gosh, they're going to be so warm at Redbud. It is not going to be fun for them. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they have to come out there. Also, their website is going to be completely re uh, – they told me – completely redone and i don't know if that means that their website's going to be new or if that just means that they're going to have all the new stuff up so definitely check it out flyracing.com during redbud and we'll see how all that stuff goes um again we talked a lot about the kr4 arrive and ride program and we got a chance to do that when we went to big buck um and, and i just want to reiterate to you guys that the the, the keegans are awesome people um they have an awesome program they're helping guys like nick davis they were trying to help out guys like ian Blythe. unfortunately when he before he got hurt uh, Jubal Brown works with them a lot, um, does all, doing all the national enduros. Um, so those those guys are out there. They're really trying to help. Um, you know, I think the person that's that that step above the average Joe that's really looking to make a difference in their program and looking for being able to have better support at the races. Um, I, I think that they're it. And again, if you're not looking for someplace you can just drop your bike off at the beginning of the year and make it to all the events and just fly in, if you're just looking for more of a one-off sort of situation, you can do that as well. And that's, that's what I think is the benefit of the Arrive and Ride program. Somebody like myself from Texas, I'm not going to be able to fly to every GNCC to do all these events, but one, maybe two a year, oh, that would be fantastic, And which I did with Big Buck, and we're hoping that later on in the year we get to do with Ironman. Um, so definitely make sure you check out kr4performance.com and uh, with that you can go to their arrive and ride section to learn about that so as we kind of get the video up and running right now so we've got Mr. Travis Christ on the line so Travis I wanted to know 
have you been able to watch any of the show this evening, or are you literally coming on blind right now? I'm coming a little blind here, Brian. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. It, it might make this better for you than uh, than if you actually knew what was coming. So, Travis, for those of you guys who don't know, Travis Christ is deeply rooted in uh, the, the Texas enduro circuit, uh, the, with TSEC, as we like to call it. Um, also, though, he is from, more from the north. Is it Michigan that you were from before you moved south, Travis? Yeah, it's from Michigan. From Michigan, okay. And you did a lot of Enduros up there. You were a double-A rider. So he's he's not just kind of a newcomer, if you will, to the Enduro circuit. He He's definitely been around for a long time. And recently, he was able to travel with Brian Story and Sean Story um, and, and his, uh, I, I would say, plethora of armada of people to the ISDE qualifier in Idaho, then to the ISDE qualifier in Ohio, and then back home just so he could get sick and not be on the couch with me here tonight. But we don't let that slide, so we're going to Skype him in from his house uh, as we talk to him about this adventure. I think what we've had this year is super cool, the fact that there are people driving not just across the country to one of these events, but to one and then across the country to the other and then back home to Texas. Phenomenal. So if you were to give us a small synopsis before we dig into each event, Travis, how was your, your trip? Just as an adventure, how was the whole trip? I mean, it was, it was it was pretty epic for me. You know, I I really haven't got out of the East Coast riding a little bit. When I came down to Texas, you know, that was a new experience for me. You know, I really haven't been any West or Northwest uh, by any means than Michigan and Texas. And Idaho was a big you know awakening experience. And and uh, I mean, then completely flipped the other side to you know to you know the other side of the country is it was a uh, two different. Uh, uh, styles of racing that we're really not accustomed to here in Texas. So right. it was it was a cool experience though. I I uh I I got humbled for sure. Oh, I bet when uh when when I got a chance. This is 2012. I got a chance with Westpick Knight. You know Westpick Knight pretty well. We drove in his pickup truck. We drove his two seater pickup truck. We drove it to Idaho and raced up there. And uh, I thought I had ridden some cool technical gnarly trails before, but holy crap, that stuff was super gnarly. It, and it's not that it's not that it's the most gnarly stuff you've ever ridden. It's just it's not the way that we're used to it. When we get to super gnarly stuff in Texas, which is where we ride a lot, obviously, since we live here, we get you know a mile or two of kind of super nasty gnarly stuff, and then it might be kind of spreads out a little bit. And we maybe get back into it. It's not ten. 20, 30 miles of it. And I think for me, that's what blew my doors off at Idaho was the fact that it was just, I mean, it was just like steep ass up, steep ass down, lots of rocks, tight and twisty. I mean, you got everything up there at Idaho. Can you hear me, Travis? I kind of lost you there at the end. That's okay. So, but Idaho could kick your ass is pretty much, pretty much. The oh order. man, yeah, Idaho was the busy, biggest experience for me. I've, I've actually never ridden the mountains, you know, before until I went to Idaho. So that was actually my first experience of some some type of elevation, and it was it wasn't. I mean, it, it was kind of fast paced trail, but it was a lot of ledges and, and peaks to where I, you know, mentally you just couldn't, I'm not used to it, you just couldn't push through that stuff, so I, you know, the, the definitely the, the locals have an advantage, to, you know, in areas like that, it was, but I tell you what, it just, climbing hills forever, it was a pretty awesome experience. 
Yeah, I I loved it. I want to do that that event again one day, but I will find somebody to drive my bike out and I will fly because that's uh, that's what I did. That's what that is what you did. Oh, Sorry, that is what you were able to fly out there. Okay, yeah, we're going to go ahead and kill the video just because of the fact that it's eaten up a lot of the bandwidth, so you can go ahead and kill that, but that way we'll get the audio back. Yeah, no worries, it's okay. Um, so, were, were you able to, so you flew out, or were you driving out with the bike? No, I was, uh, I was able to fly out. I didn't, I didn't need to make that, that long trek this time. Okay, so Brian's story and Sean's story drove your bike out for you? Yeah, I'm not naming names, but my bike got out there, yep. <laughs> I like it. That's nice of you. That's nice of you. So ha- having not ridden that kind of terrain before, and, and I don't know how prepared you were as well for those plus 100-mile days, you know, after you get done with that first day, was it like, hell yeah, I get to do that all over again, or was it, oh, my gosh, I have to do this all over again? Um, I think halfway into day one, Oh, poop. Well, apparently his internet connection really sucked. Uh, while we're trying to get him back up, I do have some fun little random stuff that I always like to talk about as uh, things happen and go on in the world. So we're talking about the ISDE qualifiers. Um, one of the things that I thought was really cool. You back? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, Sorry, I okay. can. Yeah, no worries, dude. It happens. Hey, believe me, this little misconnection here is not the worst thing we've ever had to deal with. We just we just keep it going, man. We just keep rocking with it. So, uh, yeah. So, tell us a little bit about you were saying about halfway through the day on that first day is when you were kind of like starting to go, oh my gosh, this is a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, we're not used to those kind of miles. You know, we're just riding the the T second duro. So, you know, I I put my strong eighty miles in, and we still had about another forty to go. So, it was uh, it was an eye opener. Then, you know, I got a little coaching from from my man. Brian's story and felt good for beginning of day two and actually day two it was it started getting better but those miles are you know definitely got to respect those miles yeah for sure so had you ever done an ISDE qualifier before this kind of qualifier style format no not at all these two were my very first ones okay Uh, so what kind of advice did you get from maybe from the O'Leary brothers or from uh, story you know uh, a lot of the other guys out there that you that you've probably raced with before um you know the the biggest the biggest advice and the 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 longest learning curve for me was the actual time keeping into the into the uh time checks to where if you you know if they rob trail points from you uh, you know, you need to assume your new minute if you're late to a time check, and that was that was definitely my learning curve on in Idaho. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that is definitely weird. Where if you come in five minutes late, you have to remember to leave. You know that you automatically are kind of you know right. back there. Uh, and I remember screwing that up as well when I went and did because my first time doing a qualifier was that that qualifier that Idaho qualifier in 2012. I know that I still don't have it down. Like. It's such a confusing format. So, did they run it backwards the the Idaho event? Did they run it backwards the second day, or was it still the same uh, the same uh, yep. direction? The second day, the second day they ran backwards. They cut out a few gnarly sections, 
that were downhills that would have been really hard uphills the second day. So they cut out. They actually made it 15 miles shorter, I believe, the second day. Those few, but uh, it was it was a uh, running backwards. Oh. It was actually it was actually more enjoyable, I think, to run it backwards than forwards. It, the trail was beating a little bit. You know, you were able to, uh, you know, know where you're going on these side hills. Right. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It, it's one of those deals, and we have even had a. a our friend John uh, Woodsbro in the chat room, he was mentioning the fact he's like, dude, there's times where you come over those peaks and you're just like, holy crap! Like, and I, you kind of alluded to it as well. I mean, there's just there's there's a there's a sense of gonad, you know, ability that some people have because they're used to it. And for guys like us who'd never really come across that kind of wide berth where you're like, this is a mountain, I could fall off of it, and there's a lot of death at the bottom of it. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. I uh, the set in in day two, uh, there were they had they ran a test section through an off camber. I mean, it was like a single track, um, you know, side hilling. And it, you know, if you fell off the the trail, you're you're just sliding down the hill. And I saw a couple guys down there, and the only wait is to wait for a a sweep rider to, you know, to, with a come along or some kind of rope pulley system to pull your bike out of there. So the second you saw those guys there at the bottom, were you just like, I am going to bring it back down to 60% throttle? Oh, I was back down to 30% at that point. <laughs> I love it. Don't believe me. I understand it. I'm right there with you, man, for sure. <laughs> so being that your bike was kind of getting driven around for you, were you then able to fly home for a little bit? Uh, at, at between Idaho and Ohio, or did you travel across to Ohio with these guys? No, I I was able to fly home, and then my wife and I drove out to Ohio. Okay, and that's where you picked your story up or your bike up from unannounced travelers. Yep, yep, yep. On my 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 freedom traveler, I picked my bike up from them. My parents actually met me down there with their camper, and we you know we pitted with the O'Leary brothers. Were out there. We actually saw the O'Leary brothers on the way out at a gas station in Tennessee. At the middle of nowhere. You're like, hey, guys, awkward seeing you here. Oh, wait, Ohio? Yep, yep that's where we're going to. Um, <laughs> that's it. So you're making that trek out from Idaho. You're going, holy crap. Or back, you're going to Ohio, having after a, had a week off from Idaho. Are you even, like, sore? Are you thinking that you're stupid? I mean, what is the thought process just even before you even get to Ohio as you're traveling out there? Well, I mean, I was humbled in Idaho, um, I knew that Ohio was a little bit more my, my style or, you know, and I was actually, I felt pretty good, it took a week to recover and I felt pretty good going into Ohio. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, I was just pumped. I was ready to ride. You know, sometimes when you get humbled and in certain different conditions that you're not used to, you just want to, you want to try harder on, on the next event and, so I, I, you know, I came into Ohio with a lot of confidence, and you know, and day one was muddy, slippery mess, you know, and it was uh, again I was a fish out of water being a Texas rider. Yeah, we don't get much rain. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh so, my gosh. Go ahead. So yeah, day one was uh, was a good was a decent day. I mean, I had I had a few issues and. Seems like every test, every special test, uh, there was an issue that I had. Um, rode good in the trail points. It was a little more relaxed day than Idaho. Idaho, they really pushed you through each 
each uh, each special test. They didn't really give you any time to do much. Right. Ohio, they def- they gave you a little more time. There was some road involved. It was it was uh, they ran you on a grass track, about a three mile grass track that had a lot of off cambers and and a couple log crossings and stuff that they ran you three times in day one and twice on day two and that got that got to be pretty killer. Oh, awesome. Um, so. Yeah, I think I remember reading a lot about the grass track in Ohio. Like a lot of people were like, "Oh my gosh, thanks for the epic grass tracks. You guys did such a good job." So, layout-wise, there there's I would imagine from Idaho to Ohio, there's a lot of differences. And you already kind of mentioned how the Idaho guys kind of ran you hard, ran you ragged where you felt like you maybe had a little bit more time to breathe in Ohio. Um, what other kind of differences were there? Um, maybe good, bad or indifferent. Like did the club do a good job? Did this club do a bad job? Were there any of that kind of stuff that you think that should be worked on? Yeah, well, I mean, I I think the the Ohio crew, they're they're uh, you know their their club members are have been to ISDs, you know, I think they know the format. I think they're they try to mimic more what the six days actually events are. Um, I mean, both were were decently organized. I mean, Idaho had almost six hundred entries, six hundred riders. Wow. Um, and Ohio was about 120, so I mean that that made a big difference in organization as well. But you know the the Ohio it was real dense wood, so I mean in the middle of the day it would be nighttime. I mean it was clear goggle lens, you know, riding in Ohio or Idaho. You know you, you had to put some put some shades on and right. Um, but it you know it was it was kind of slimy the first day. Second day we ran the same in Ohio. We ran the same course again. And it definitely sped up, got burned in a little bit. I was riding on row six, so I was kind of blazing trail on day one. Day two felt a lot better. You know, you're able to carry some speed, something we're we're kind of used to riding here in Texas. Yeah. Very cool, man. So now that you've done it, would you ever do both of them again, same fashion? What are your thoughts going forward? Like, how would you attack these again if you wanted to do them, or you know, oh, if absolutely. you plan to do them? Oh, absolutely. I would I would do them again. Um, I mean, Idaho would be more of a joy ride. You know, there's a, you know, that that's where I think I have, I have the d- most disadvantage. Um, I think in Idaho, you'd really you really have to go up and and really ride in some mountains and get used to that. You know, that that uh, off camber, you know, more extreme side hill and stuff. But right. Ohio, I, I mean, that was that was a really fun ride. They they put it together real nicely. It flowed. You had some time to do things. Um, you know, it was it was a pretty Pretty cool event. I think uh, I think we need we might need to put an ISD qualifier down here in Texas again. I think that would be awesome. I know uh, we've had Jared Bolt on. He's a really good friend of ours and uh, a big out at the GNCCs. Him and I have had a lot of behind the scenes discussions about is there a chance for you know more of a Southern ISD qualifier? Um, is there a chance even for you know future actual ISD bids? All that kinds of stuff. Um, so if that's a thought process that you have, you know definitely. Um, reach out because we would love to talk about possibly putting on an ISDE qualifier or or even helping in any capacity. Um, I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah. had uh, we were talking about the guy John Woodsbro in the chat room. He said he he traveled with Brian Jehelka to both of the events who uh, Moto Tally. So the guys that were doing a lot of the scoring. And he said his take was that Idaho gives you a realistic six day schedule. Where Ohio gives you a little bit more realistic six-day terrain. 
So for whatever that's worth, I think that makes sense with the schedule. The fact that they ran you so ragged um, in Idaho, um, the terrain part in Ohio is, I think, would change so much because what they had in Germany in 2012, for what they had in Italy in 2013, to what they're going to have in Argentina for 2014. You know, I mean, obviously the terrain changes so much for the country that you're in and all that kinds of fun stuff. So, all right. But um, so you're you're not making it. Did you make it onto a club team? No, no, I, uh, this, uh, this season, since my first, uh, ISDE, uh, uh, chances, I, I'm, I just, it's a learning curve for me. Next year, next year we'll set our sights on, uh, on, uh, qualifying. Awesome. Well, that's cool to hear, dude. I'm glad that there's more Texas guys going out there and doing it. Story, uh, did really good. It looks like he actually beat Scott Bright. Uh, in the E4 class, uh, I think it was one one of the days out there in Ohio. But he didn't really have that great uh, of a time in Idaho, did he? Well, actually, uh, uh, Ohio, Idaho was a struggle for Brian. I mean, we're flatlanders, you know, out yeah. here. Um, you know, I mean, Scott Bright nailed it in in Idaho uh, both days. You know, he's he's used to that stuff. In Ohio, Brian rode really well. He was actually really sick coming into the weekend and. And uh, he was able to recover and salvage a second un- right behind Jeff Fredette. Um, and then day two, he was able to put some time and beat Jeff Fredette, you know, for a qualifying position. So hats off to him. Yeah, for sure. Um, so since I've got you and we're talking about this qualifier, uh, Travis Coy was the LOI overall winner um, in Idaho. And we had Corey Buttrick was the LOI overall winner in Ohio. Um, did you get a chance to maybe see any of those guys, talk to any of those guys, kind of see how they were riding or any of that? that oh, yeah. Stuff? Trav- Travis Coy was on my row in Idaho, so I, I got to see him quite a bit. Awesome. Throughout the weekend, really nice guy. Um, I didn't see him too much when we were on our dirt bikes, but I saw him at the stops. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then and then Corey Buttrick in, in Ohio was one minute behind him, so you know I got to see him quite a bit. Asked me a few different times. He uh, he was definitely railing. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are both really uh, really nice guys. Uh, I've got a chance to talk with Corey Buttrick a few more times than I have Travis Coy, um, just because Travis Coy is typically out on the West Coast a little bit more. I think it was first time I met him. I was Germany. That's where I met Travis. Was because he was at the ISDE um, on the Junior Trophy team. Um, so we kind of know. Uh, the trophy team has been picked out, but there hasn't really been too much talk yet about the junior trophy team. Um, just kind of being in the circle and having met a lot of these people, have you heard any chatter about who could possibly be on the junior world trophy team this year? Um, you know what? I haven't. I, uh, I, you know, I might have some suspicions, but I, uh, I haven't heard any word yet. No. Well, hey, we love opinions and suspicions. What do you think? Um, I mean, I'd like to see the Baylor's. You know, on the junior team, I'm uh, I'm sure uh, you know they got some speed. Yeah, I think it'd be cool for Grant. I think it'd be really right. cool for Grant to be on the junior trophy team. Um, he is he is making some speed this year, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and That's it'd be right. interesting to see if he rode his 252 stroke or his 454 stroke because at the national enduros he's been riding that 454 stroke to try to get ready for GNCC moving up to the XE1 class next year. So I think he, I think he's a, I think he's a true, uh, a two stroker, man. Yeah. I, uh, I follow him on Instagram and it seems that, that he really likes that bike. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with you. The Baylors seem to be pretty, pretty hard and set on those, uh, two strokes. I think Grant's a little bit more optimistic, uh, I wouldn't say optimistic, has a little bit more forethought, 
uh, towards XC1 and possibly knowing he might need to ride the 450. And I, I definitely put that in air quotes. Um, just, I mean, if you look at, but look at Caleb Russell. He's on a 350, and he completely dominates on that thing. So I think it is, it could be come down to completely what you're comfortable on, even if it's, you know, the top of the top competing against each other. Yeah, Fed Duvall's riding a, a, a Honda 250F. Yeah. He, he's kind of, he's gone back and forth, I think, a little bit. I think he's on the 450 right. sometimes and then on the 250, but he's done really well on the 250 because he's chosen yep. it for the right races and it's been at the right times and he's ridden it the way you need to ride it and fucking moving. <laughs> right. Um, so last thing I just wanted to – since I, I like discussing stuff with people and I just wanted to see your thoughts on this. You're a moto activist just like myself more than anything. That's what we do more than anything. We just study moto and just – we gander and think about all this weird stuff. James Stewart, you know, tested positive Seattle Supercross for a PED with WADA, and they use that is completely Supercross related. Um, now we do know that he has already been cleared by USADA and MX Sports, or at least by MX Sports. I don't know if been cleared by USADA, but he's, he will be racing Muddy Creek, and he's cleared to race Muddy Creek. So obviously, there are two different separate series. There are two different separate governing bodies, um, two different separate testing bodies as well, even though USADA is kind of a part of WADA. Um, just thoughts. We don't need to be scientists. I just want to know your opinions on kind of all of this 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 stuff that's been talked about and that's going on. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is a completely, you know, kind of a new a new issue on, you know, the motocross side. You know, I, you know, you I just got done watching a Lance Armstrong, you know, just uh, a documentary on him, and you know how that's been real prevalent through the, you know, through the, the career and the, the sport. And you know, I don't know really know how I feel about it. Um, you know, James, I don't think he needs any kind of, you know, enhancing um, drug to to make him faster. I think he's probably the fastest guy when he's on two wheels. And um, you know, I I. Uh, I'd wait to see, you know, if if there's any any other names pop up, then I'd be a little more interested. Yeah, I thought it was weird how long it took for any kind of official press release to come out because for about a a week, five days, there was a lot of speculation behind the scenes. And I'm obviously not behind the scenes in the MX community, and I was hearing all this behind-the-scenes stuff and people speculating um, all kinds of crazy stuff, and I was like, my immediate thought was, you know what? I don't know who it is. I'm not going to try to speculate on who it is, but whoever it is, they need to say it now because th- they keep making all of these strides to make our our sport look more professional. But when it comes to stuff like this, this is something where, and I don't mean you nip it in the butt to make it shut up, but you nip it in the butt to tell the truth and whatever. I mean, and I'm not saying they tell the truth, but whatever the truth is. You get it out there, um, because with that speculation, just it it, da- it it adds so much more weight to a situation that doesn't need more weight added to it. And it didn't. And it didn't take. It took Yoshimura Suzuki realizing that Yoshimura Suzuki sent out a press release saying that James Stewart had been found positive. That it wasn't the FIM. It wasn't you know Feld or anybody like that. It. You know, because they finally were like, "All right, well, if nobody's going to say anything, we need to say something because it needs to come out in a professional manner, opposed to all this speculation." And then finally, somebody's going to make a blog post about it. That's what they didn't want. 
And that's definitely what they didn't need. And I think that was my biggest kind of qualm about this whole thing is that it's like, come on, guys, you're doing all this stuff to try to act more professional as a sport. But then when something like this happens, you don't, you know, once everybody starts speculating, it just goes downhill. And I just thought it was very poorly handled. That's that's the media. Speculation is the, the biggest enemy. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's tough. Um you know, they talk a lot about it on the Pulp Mech show. I listen to that show. I enjoy it. It gives me my fix of kind of like random humor um, towards the MX side of things. And uh, our sport's weird. It really is weird. It's such an odd mixture. And I think like the way that they were breaking it down today in their emergency podcast that I was listening to that they had, the Racer X emergency podcast, it's, it's a very big cluster – of all the different organizations and all the different governing bodies and all the different testing type crap that goes into this, um, it's a little too convoluted. Um, then it much more convoluted than it needs to be. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I keep I keep thinking that I'm gonna figure out what to say and how to say it, but it's just it seems strange. I mean, yeah, I mean. In this realm, professional athletes sometimes feel like they need to do this to compete just because they have the thought process that other professional athletes could be competing. And they're like, well, if they're doing it, I have to do it because I won't be able to keep up if they're if I'm not. Um, and, you know, and that's like the whole Lance Armstrong thing, like all the bicycle stuff that was going on. A lot of those guys, they don't really want to be cheaters. They're just doing it because they know everybody else is doing it. Right. Um, and so I wonder how much that plays into minds with other motocross racers. So, yeah, I, I would just hate to think that you know that that everyone else is doing it, so that's what they have to do to level the playing field. But you know, it would be disappointing to to hear some more names pop out. But uh, honestly, uh, in my my direct opinion, I I'd probably say it. You know, it's some kind of um, you know other remedy that they use that has some some uh, you know drugs in it that they can. They can detect. So, yeah, come up know. positive for it. Yeah. Right. And from, from all the readings and stuff that I've done, again, I haven't done any personal research. This has just been reading all the stuff on the websites, listening to different podcasts and stuff like that. Definitely full transparency on that. Definitely not a doctor or scientist. Um, it look, it look, sounds like it was Adderall. And a lot of that stuff they say, you know, for ADHD and ADD and stuff like that, and that you can, with a doctor's prescription beforehand, as long as you tell them ahead of time, it, it can be an exception. Um, for that um, and so right now apparently that's what they're studying um, or looking into and researching is did he have a doctor's note essentially was it a prescription and how long ago was that prescribed you know was it prescribed yesterday was it forged to look like three months ago all that kinds of stuff so that's that's where they're at right now um, I don't think since since it's such a weird quagmire between all the different organizations sure let them race Muddy Creek you know, if they're using USADA and the other people are using WADA, all right, you got two different testers. You got to catch J. If if he's cheating with a P with Peds, you got to catch him in your organization, not the other one. Um, you know what I mean? Like I don't think that there's. It's just like racing trucks and racing cars almost at that point. Like, because they're they're so different. Those two organizations and all the different governing bodies that are involved. I don't know. I'm kind of an idiot. Did you uh, – go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to see if you caught up on any of the Endurocross that happened this past weekend. Um, I haven't caught up on my Endurocross 
this past weekend, no. Well, that's okay. I can tell you a lot about it because I have. And, I know uh, the winner. I just haven't got the got the lineup details. Yeah, Colton Haker. So coming away with his first his first win with the JCR Honda Boys. Um, second win of his career. He did have one 2012 uh, Las Vegas on his Kawasaki. But uh, super super pumped for this. Uh, we did just have him on recently, and uh, it's super cool kid. He's been working really hard, and he he's been riding like a beast. Yeah, he really was showing speed at the Austin X Games. Yes, he was. And that was a shame how he kind of got out of the mix with Blazusiak. I mean, yeah. yeah the like, lapper. Yeah, yeah, it's like, again, it's, you know, Enduro Cross, air quotes. But, oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I'm super stoked for the kid to get that. Um, and then uh, Cody Webb, second place. Taggy Blazusiak, third place. Sounds like uh, Taylor Robert was up there about to get a podium finish. But, unfortunately, he and Webb got together. Webb kind of... Uh, removing him from the equation, if you will, and uh, in that debacle, that kept Robert down enough for Blazusiak to get by and to hold on to third place. So points-wise, though, we're looking at Co- uh, Cody Webb, uh, 71 points. Uh, <laughs> did I say Colton Webb? Cody Webb with 71 points. Uh, Colton Haker was 70, and Blazusiak was 68. So, I mean, we have six more events to go, but it's pretty cool to see Webb, uh, you know, in the lead. And, and so uh, I'm... I'm thinking we're going to, you know, keep in mind uh, uh, Taylor Roberts is just getting over a pretty pretty big injury, you know, from a handlebar to the gut, I think it right. was. And, and you know, he's been, at, I know at the Austin X Games, he, you know, he's kind of coming fresh off that. So I think we're going to see him start speeding up here later in the season. I would agree. And they've got some time off now. Uh, I think they've got, uh, yeah, next events, not until August 23rd. Um, in Atlanta, which we're hoping to be at, it'll be fun to do that. And then, you know, after Atlanta, they've still got five more rounds. I mean, they're like so. Once GNCC ends, boom, we're gonna have a ton of freaking enduro crosses to pay attention to. It'll be pretty cool. Uh, so, yep. what's our next? Uh, you said you've got some stuff with TSEC, right? You got some stuff going on. What are we? What are we doing here locally? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, we're trying to, you know, we want trying to rebrand a little bit, build a name. You know, we want really want to. Uh, you know, showcase TSEC is a really premier off-road organization, you know, for all the off-road riders in the DFW, Houston, you know, uh, Lubbock, out west of the state of Texas area. And, and we're gonna, you know, we're, we're gonna be doing a little bit of changes and, you know, adding a class. We're going to, uh, add a pro class this year with, uh, with TSEC. It's gonna be a money payout class. Oh. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't, I don't have all the details on, what payouts and how that's going to work, but we're gonna we're gonna get uh, you know we're gonna try to accommodate some of the top guys and see if we can bring them in and and show them how we can put an enduro on. Right. So maybe some of the guys that are you know specifically racing a lot of the cross country type series and not going enduros because they're like ah, I don't want to just get points. I want to make some money. Maybe get some travel money back and stuff like that. They're gonna be at a, there's a good chance that that's gonna work out for them now for the next season. Yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah, so we're bringing the schedule back down to, uh, you know, uh, uh, spring to, uh, fall to spring, um, summer off. So we're going to eliminate the year and a half season, what we did last year. Um, we're going to, uh, you know, our TSEC is going to be Texas only premier, um, where we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, setting aside Sabine in High Plains division and kind of focus on our, TSEC uh, Premier Division, and we're going to be trying to add some properties here this next year, kind of more in the central part of Texas. So uh, try to really draw some of the 
you know, the Houston and Austin guys out. Very cool, very cool. And and, and talk to us a little bit about the schedule changeup that we've had because we just had like a year and a half season. And, you know, now we're on a break, so we just technically finished our season, and we're going to be getting ready to start back up in September, I think. So kind of yep. kind of talk to us about why that's happening and, and, and why you guys think um, this is the way to go. Well, we, we you know, we're – we we're doing a little bit of experimenting, you know, the year and a half season. It you know it has the pros and cons. Um, you know, people that to have you know you get more drops with a longer season, um, but it's a bigger commitment. And you know, we think that uh, if we you know bring the amount of races of TSEC scheduled races, you know, down to eight or ten, you know, it'd be maybe a little easier commitment for the families to, you know, to commit to a season and points chasing, um, you know, and, and that's where we want to bring into, in the scheduling of some new properties, you know, more in central Texas and kind of rope in, you know, everyone in the state of Texas, uh, you know, to, to not drive 10 hours across the state to an event. Right. That'd be awesome. Cause that sucks. Uh, I think yeah. the, the, I can't I can't recall, but I know one of the longest ones in Texas that I've driven to is probably about six and a half. Um, but yeah, so I mean, is, is the idea that like maybe the Tex the Sabine and the High Plains will maybe kind of do their own thing, just not part of what you're calling the kind of the premier TSEC? Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna our our main focus I think is, is we're gonna be. You know, Texas in-state only Enduros, um, you know, and, and have one championship that everyone would, you know, to chase points for. Very cool. Yeah, so, so it's, uh, so, you know, we're going to, and, you know, and, and anyone, you know, out there, anyone, uh, we're looking for, you know, people to contribute and, you know, find people that know properties if put on races. You know, we definitely want to, you know, expand our, our, rep, our uh, portfolio of, of uh, uh, races to you know to put on in the series, so definitely spread the word. Very cool. So when's the banquet? Um, and then of course, what is our first race back so we can kind of get people amped up on this and start to start to chatter about it, where we can go win some Skrilla. Well, the the bank the banquet is August sixteenth. Um, you can go on a uh, tscec.org website. You can purchase tickets. We're also uh, Raffling off a brand new 2013 uh, KTM 250SX with uh, has Barkbusters uh, oversized XC tank kickstand. Um, never been started. Uh, brand new non-current bike. We're raffling those off. Uh, you can get that on our website. Um, no, we're not 100% yet at the dates in the beginning of the season, but I can tell you it's probably going to be at the end of August, and we might be looking at PBMA. At, out at Red Canyon for a, a two-day enduro to kick off the season. Sweet. And could is the it, with the addition of the pro class with the purse pain is that you could win money on both days or is that just on the weekend? Uh, it would it would be both days if they're you know we're we're doing the two-day weekends as two separate events so it would be uh, both days you know like I said we're we're still working out the details. Yeah, but, no worries. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, we, I'm excited to, to, to get this shit going. <laughs> I won't yeah, I won't yeah. be winning winning any money, but I'll be out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's gonna. You know, we're we're just trying to uh, uh, spread spread the properties around all over the state, and you know, and trying to wrap more people involved, and you know, and and uh, you know, and I and I I definitely uh, have full respect for the landowners of the cross countries and the workers cross country guys, but cross country guys, if you're listening, if you really want an adventure and tired of going around on laps, come on out and ride a T second Duro. You're gonna you're gonna love it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And hopefully we get the National Enduro back for Concho next year, so that way we can have everybody back out for that event. I, that event's always really fun, but for some reason I've really enjoyed it being a National the past two years. It's been laid out different, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a premier property for sure. It, it definitely uh, holds a National and real well. Very cool. Okay, so before we let you go, where can people find out more about you, Mr. Travis Christ, and where can they find out more about TSEC? Um, they can for, find more about me, just my Facebook, Travis Christ. Um, TSEC, just go on tsec.org. Uh, we have a new, kind of a new format of a logo and a website out there, uh, trying to push this a new face of the Enduros and, and, uh, uh, check it out. We also have a, a TSEC Facebook page. Um, make sure to check that out. We have a lot of, all the local events and news happening on there. Very cool. Well, dude, I know it was a little rough at first, but we appreciate you sticking with us and uh, getting you on the show, getting a chance to talk about your adventures. You travel and fly across the country and, and dope, dupe other people into uh, traveling, traveling your bike for you. You're a very smart man. I hope I can take advantage of your knowledge later in life as I try to do the same. And uh, telling us more about the Enduros coming up because Texas is kicking ass at Enduros. That's right. All right, Brian, I appreciate it. Yeah, man, take it easy. We'll talk soon. Yep, thank you guys. Later. So a couple other little random things that I wanted to chat about was uh, Jordan Ashburn with his best career finish, second place. Uh, Caleb Russell obviously winning the XC1, uh, which is also the overall completely dominating. Um, super cool to see that happen. Those guys are just kicking ass. Um, XC2, uh, Grant and Grant Baylor and Trevor Bollinger, super, super competitive. It sounded like they were going head-to-head the whole time. Grant finally kind of pulling away there from Trevor at the end. And uh, getting first place, Trevor Bollinger in second place. Uh, and then third place, we had uh, Nick Davis. So Nick Davis kind of making that change from the Suzuki team he was on, the Obermar Suzuki team, uh, into being kind of under the KR4 tent, still doing a lot of his own bike work from what he was saying when he was on the show. But obviously that change has really, really helped. Um, and it, I'm glad to see it because having him on the show, you could tell he was a super nice guy, super cool, really into it, and just wanted to showcase that he's a great rider and he was just having really bad luck um, under the circumstances that he was under with the team that he was on. So really cool. Um, I want to do snowshoe. It looked badass. It sucks that they were having such a huge break. Um, we do have a National Enduro coming up. As we're saying, we're probably going to have one more show next week. We're going to have some of the J-Day Rippers on, but it's going to be some of the younger ones. Apparently, they have just as much... Uh, I wouldn't say shit talking because they're so young, but you know, so much, uh, so much, uh, language talking. I don't know. But it'll be interesting to hear how their dialect ranges from non-pubescent to pubescent as we kind of work our way up from some of the, the super young to the little bit older, if you will. Um, of course, uh, Seat Time, you can find out way more about us at seattime.co is the website we do have. All everything is archived there. Um, Facebook is facebook.com slash seat time. We're on Twitter, twitter.com slash, what is it? Twitter.com slash seat time underscore CO. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about total brain fart. We are on Instagram. It is seat time. One word. We're on YouTube. You can search for us, find us there. That's actually probably the easiest way to get, uh, to subscribe to the shows. 
um, because that way it'll just tell you. You hit subscribe and then go email me when it's up. And anytime a live event either starts or comes on or is archived, it's there for you. Um, Stitcher and iTunes, if you just want the audio version, that's probably the best way to do it. Seat time, search for it. It is two words on those accounts. Um, of course, we are brought to you by the fine folks at Fly Racing. You can check them out at flyracing.com. Stillwell Performance, stillwellperformance.com. Uh, KR4 Performance with the Arrive and Ride program. It is kr4performance.com and Fast Company. So fastco.com. We thank them for their support. Again, thank you for everybody for supporting the Teespring funding that we had going on last week. We really appreciate that. Um, and look again for the John Pinton movie screening that we have here in the North Texas area at the Angelica Film Center. It will be July 10th at 730. I think there's about 30 tickets left before it sells out. So uh, if you guys want to get in there, get in there. What else, Steven? I like to have Steven keep me on track. It helps. All right. Well. That was our episode, episode 133. Got a great chance to talk to Andrew DeLong about his uh, his first XC1 podium. Um, and, of course, uh, Travis Christ as he made his journey across the country, even though it wasn't as dramatic as I thought it was because he flew. But, hey, somebody drove his bike. Maybe we should talk to the person that drove his bike, but we'll see. Um, so thank you very much for paying attention to Seat Time. We will be back next week for one more show before we take a little bit of a break. And uh, remember, always enjoy a pint full of awesome, and we'll see you next week. Peace.